Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless. Good morning, good morning. I'd like to take attendance. If you are present, would you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to start a four-week on Joseph, the foster caretaker of the Christ child. Um, this is a program that's put together by Lutheran Hour Ministries, and uh, there's some video that go with it. When you look at the booklet, there's a lot of personal questions, like when is when has there been a time when you... We're not going to go through those. I'll leave those for you if you want to do like a private study on that. Uh, that would be fine. Uh, but we are going to discuss the ones that are a little bit more public and try to see you know, exactly what my friend Joseph was going through. Uh, so let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for all those who have gone before us in this Christian faith. Thank you for their determination wisdom. Uh, thank you for uh, Joseph uh, as he stands for us as a beautiful example of one who listens and follows. And so in these next four weeks, um, allow us not just a deeper understanding and appreciation of Joseph, but a deeper understanding and appreciation for the faith that you give to us. Amen. All right, everybody have a handout? Anybody need one? Your hand is out. You're going to be thrown out. Zach, there you go. They're free. Take one. Dennis, have you got one? All right. Super. Okay. What do you know about Joseph? New Testament Joseph, not Old Testament Joseph. Carpenter. Carpenter. We are told he's a carpenter. Well, he's a tactician, actually. Yeah, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a carpenter. You're going to hear a little bit about that today. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Righteous is a great word. If you can be called righteous. Remember back, was it in the 60s when the word righteous was, was popular? And, you know, that if something was righteous, it was really good. And this is what Scripture talks about. Right? The deal about being righteous is not about how, how I do things right. It's about trusting in the one who has done all things right. right? So here's Joseph. Good trusting guy. He helped raise Jesus. He was the caretaker of Jesus, right? Not he was. The father, but the caretaker. Right, yeah, he was the foster father, I guess we might say, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what else do we know? A man of few words. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the scriptures, he is a man of no words. Right? We don't hear this is the perfect husband. Yes. He, he just he just follows. This is a guy you want as a son in law. Right? This is it. He's he's wasn't able to ask for a room at the end. Well, we don't even hear that. So we get no recorded words of him. Nothing. Um, we'll understand what an inn is also. And I'll, I'll, I, I'm, my goal is to screw up your image of Christmas. Oh, I know. Right? Because it's not a holiday inn. Or, there was a hand. Whose hand? Jeannie. Oh, Mary's husband. Mary's they husband. They got married. Yeah. They really got married. Yeah, they were betrothed and they were married. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the challenge that 
uh, face Joseph and Mary in, in that day and age, right? So that was not the day where they had child care at the high school. It's a, it's a different day for, for Mary and Joseph. It's a different generation. It's a different culture uh, than what maybe we are used to. What else do we know? Anything? He was a refugee because didn't they go to Egypt? They went to Egypt for a while. We don't know how long. Some people speculate nine months to 15 months. But nonetheless, there he was in Egypt. He was a, they, were, they were foreigners for a while. Yeah. Obedient to God? Obedient to God. Yeah. Compassionate. Died early. Died early. We don't hear much about him after the age of 12, Jesus' age of 12. Yeah. And he's a compassionate guy. He's going to divorce Mary, but he wants to do it quietly. quietly. He could have done it publicly, which would have led to even greater disgrace. Um, so, and, and he goes and marries her anyway, which in the minds of the people might think what? This is his baby. This is his baby. So he's actually, by, by doing the right thing, is going to bring even some public disgrace on himself. Sometimes when we do the right thing, when we do the God thing, uh, it's not seen as uh, the proper thing by the culture. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Uh, today the Supreme Court is going to be involved in uh, listening, right, to, to uh, a case brought to them. The, the um, state of Mississippi has instituted a law, no abortions after the 15th week of a pregnancy. I think the national law right now is like 24. So that argument is going to go on. And there are going to be some uh, in our culture who are going to say, oh man, you know, we shouldn't have any at all, but if we can move it back to 15 weeks, we can actually save a few more babies, and this would be God-pleasing. And there's going to be those in our culture who say, but it's not about God, it's about my rights. Yeah. Correct? So sometimes doing the God thing is, is not the easy thing. All right. So if you open up, uh, I printed for you, <clears throat> actually I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give you the leader's guide because it's got places where you can go on the internet to learn more about you know, what a betrothal is and a wedding and what a carpenter would do. So I just gave you all of those things. You can log on to this too if you would like. All you have to do is go to Lutheran Hour Ministries, lhm.org. And this is under um, a program they have that's called Men's Network. And there's a lot of wonderful video-based uh, Bible studies. But if you get on there and download this electronically, there's hyperlinks so you can click on all the blue and, and it'll take you somewhere else in the internet that you can learn more. So I thought, ah, you can have all of that stuff so that uh, on your own you can take a look. Uh, so on the, on the page for you, that would be page three. It's an interactive study guide. So again, uh, there it is, lhm.org backslash Joseph. And you can download. This is all free. You will have to set up an account, which is simply your email address and, and a password that you would like to use. But you can download any and all of this material for nothing, including all the videos. So... <clears throat> which is a pretty good deal. 
All right. Um, page four. Again, you know, what's the first thing you remember making with your own hands? I don't know if we need to go through that. And what's your favorite tool? Um, but we will watch the video. And like I say, there's, there's some things in here that maybe are personal. What's the toughest moral decision you had to make? We're not going to go through that. If you want to do that on your own, I think that's a wonderful exercise. But uh, we'll go through some of the other stuff. All right. You ready? That was resounding. There you go. Much better. Thank you. All right. I got to warm up here. It's about 11 minute video. Can everyone see that? child who would change human history. Joseph probably lived, worked, and died, never realizing that we'd be talking about him today. He had a small business that was plagued by many interruptions, and he might have thought his greatest legacy would be the bench he might have made for the local synagogue. But the thing I like most about Joseph is how determined he was to get the job done, whatever that might be. Dr. Paul Meyer, one of our favorite experts, tells us more. Carpenters in those days would come probably in the middle class status. Uh, they were, of course, in much demand. But again, Joseph might have been more than just a carpenter. Let me explain. Uh, in those days, there was not that much wood in Palestine. Everything is stone over there. And Joseph is called a tecton which can translate also anybody in the construction trades. And so Joseph could also have been a stone cutter in addition to being a carpenter. Uh, could have been a mason in terms of a building with brick and this kind of thing. So uh, actually he was very skilled in anything that required building up. And so as a carpenter, of course, it would have been roofs for the stone houses. It would have been boat hulls benches, chairs, tables, furniture, this kind of thing. We first meet Joseph in the first chapter of Matthew. Unlike the famous Christmas story in Luke, Matthew was very matter-of-fact in describing the birth of Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. From the moment they were betrothed or legally pledged to be married, Mary and Joseph were considered husband and wife. But even though they were husband and wife, they were not to come together, you know, become sexually active until after the wedding. Virginity was expected throughout the betrothal period, which usually lasted nine to 12 months, long enough to make sure that there wasn't any child on the way when they came together. We don't know exactly how old Joseph was when he was betrothed to Mary, 
but girls back then got married pretty young. In those days, girls married shortly after puberty, whereas uh, the husbands would have to wait until they had accumulated something of a nest egg for the future household. Uh, Mary, whether she was about 15 or so, is indeterminate, but in any case, the marriage was probably arranged because in the ancient world, in fact, even in the medieval world, marriages mainly were arranged by the parents. It was during this betrothal period that Joseph made a startling discovery. Matthew tells us about it. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This wouldn't be the first time a guy discovered his girlfriend, fiance, or wife was pregnant, and he knew for sure he wasn't the daddy. Like so many other guys before him and since, Joseph found himself devastated with a very tough decision to make. Joseph, at this point, would have really had two basic options. One, go public with it or keep it private. If he went public with it, well, then Mary could actually be in a mortal situation because uh, a person up in Galilee who was betrothed really was considered virtually legally married, although they could not uh, indulge in the normal uh, situation between husband and wife. Uh, but Mary then would have been regarded as an adulteress and possibly even stoned to death depending on the conservatism of the area in Galilee where she was living at the time. Matthew tells us what he was going to do. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Quite a guy. How would you have dealt with that? Joseph did the right thing. Uh, he really loved Mary despite her apparent betrayal, as it were, and uh, resolved to divorce her quietly, and that was legal also. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I don't know about you, but for me, waking up after that would probably make me wonder what I'd eaten before I went to bed but not Joseph. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As you can see, Joseph was a man of action. He obeyed the Lord. Like so many other situations in the Bible, God called him to wait, and wait he did. Although he took Mary to be his wife, he would have to wait to have sex with her. That way the Son of God could truly be born of the Virgin Mary. Even though both of them had had an encounter with an angel, remember that Mary had been told by the angel Gabriel that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God, I'm sure that they still tried to live as normal a life as possible under the situation. And imagine this. They knew that they were going to have a boy, even without ultrasound. Can you imagine Joseph at his workbench, trying to wrap his head around all of this? And Mary comes running in and she says, Joseph, put your hand here. You can feel him kicking. It's a big investment to live with a pregnant woman.
But when the child is God's own son, Luke tells us about it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Augustus was pretty proud of his censuses, especially the one he sent for Quirinius to do. It was done for the purpose of determining the potential tax revenues and other resources from this new area of Judea. The reason, of course, for taking the census was, uh, first of all, to see what kind of manpower resources you have throughout the empire, where do you recruit your legions and that kind of thing, although that would not have applied to the Jews, but also the basis for future taxation. You had to know what your population base was and therefore adjust the tax rates accordingly. If you really figure out the causation here in the Christmas account, you have God using a Caesar 1,500 miles away to inaugurate the chain of events which will lead Joseph to bring Mary down to Bethlehem so the Messiah can be born there. And of course, some critics say, come on, this is a Rube Goldberg apparatus, it couldn't happen. And you hear all kinds of complaints that the Romans never took censuses at this point, but they're all wrong. One may well wonder what Mary would look like to the neighbors when she was, shall we say, five, six, seven months pregnant. Uh, clearly, it was easier to hide a baby in those days because they had flowing garments. And for this reason, I think Mary could well have disguised her, her pregnancy. But this is one reason, by the way, that Mary chose to go with Joseph to Bethlehem to register. According to Roman law, she would not have had to made, make the trip. But she went along, really, to get away, I think, from the nosy neighbors in Nazareth. And the other reason is, of course, biblical. She knew her Old Testament as well, her Hebrew Bible, in which the Messiah, according to the prophet Micah, was to be born in Bethlehem. And so when Caesar's census comes along and says, Joseph's got to go to Bethlehem to register the family for the census, Mary says, obviously, I'll be coming along. We don't know if Joseph left town with a smile on his face, or maybe just to get away from the rumors and whispers, but off he went. Luke puts it this way. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Have you ever traveled with a pregnant wife? I have. How many times do you think that they had to stop along the way? Even if she rode on a donkey, as tradition suggests, it would have been slow going with frequent pit stops. Can't you just picture Joseph saying, you need to stop again? I doubt if there were rest areas or truck stops. But imagine Joseph standing there watching all the traffic go by. Do you think he ever said, Mary, please, everybody's passing us. All right. But don't blame me if we get to Bethlehem and there aren't any rooms left. Well, step by step and stop by stop, they finally finished the 80 mile trip and arrived in Bethlehem. Next time we will see the surprises that awaited Joseph and Mary in the ancient city of David. Okay, <clears throat> thoughts. Let's do that first. Any questions? Thoughts? Comments? Anything new? 
some of the stuff you brought up, like, yeah, making frequent stops and, you know, and, and you know, things like that. And you just think, oh, it's maybe, you know, block to Bethlehem station, you know, but it was probably another 10. 80 miles. Which isn't going to take you an afternoon. Or the part where he talked about that, you know, she knew she had to go along because she was studied in her Bible. It's like, oh, yeah, it said in the Bible I need to do this, so I better do it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought of it that way? Because, you know, there was Roman rule that you had to go be taxed, but if you were over a certain age or you were in the latter months of pregnancy, you didn't have to go, obviously, right? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. How am I going to raise this child? Yeah, you know. All the business about her being pregnant during this control thing must have been very difficult. Yeah, and and to anticipate she's a pretty young person, right? Um, God picked the right one, didn't he? Yeah, he knew what he was doing uh, when when he picked uh, the person to bring the Messiah into the world. And, And you're right. You wonder along the way... The, the enormity of this. I always wondered what it was like when they lost Jesus, when he's like 12. Like, which one of us is going to tell God we lost his son? <laughs> Early on when it talked about the parents usually being the, the matchmaker for the couple, yep. I never thought about their parents before. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, wonder what they were saying. Yeah. You know, like if Joseph's parents were still around, Joe, you really want to marry her? You know, and then for Mary's parents to say, you disgraced us. Yeah. But mom, it was the Holy Spirit. Sure it was. Yeah. I'm not a biblical scholar, but is there anything written about why God chose Mary? You know, it's, it's you have found favor in God's eyes. Isn't that what, um, what's recorded? You know, and, and kind of Mary says, uh, whoa, why me? You found favor in God's eyes. And the favor that she found, evidently, was that of faithfulness, of trust in the Lord, you know, and not, not so much that she was a perfect person or she did everything right, but we can, we can tell from that point forward that she trusted in the Lord. Was she perfect? No. No, as a matter of fact, as Jesus is in his ministry, there's that one point where they say, hey, your mother and brothers and sisters are here to take you home. Why? They think you have a Messiah complex. Or the other thing is, they hear people want to kill you. So she's still, and, and in my mind, it's not so much that Mary was thinking, well, that's probably not really the Messiah. In her mind, it's, oh yeah, I remember I lost him when, I was, when he was 12. I need to protect him. Because right? in Mary's mind, I, mean, I don't think the Lord explained to her that on a Friday, you know, they're going to crucify him. He's going to raise on a Sunday. So she's... Kind of where everybody else was, you know, in the first century. One, one thing that sort of surprised me that he said about her knowing her, knowing her Bible, but I, I, I didn't think that it was a tradition at that time that, that young women were, were included in the instruction, that it was much more the young men. Young men would have had more of that formal, you know, their confirmation classes. The women at home, most likely. Much the way when Jesus was at Mary and Martha's, so that she sat at the feet of Jesus. Oh, this is pretty cool. The rabbi's talking to me. Yeah. So I would imagine that her, her family devotions and so forth uh, would, would have been part of that. Great question. 
Sandy. Oh, oh okay. But, Ginny. But Mary, really, if, if she had anybody else, she, she wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecy, right? Because it wasn't it Joseph with the line of David? Yes. They so, both, so, they both oh, were. Yeah, they both were of the line of David. And <clears throat> when, you get to, when, when you get to the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, um, you, you kind of get to see where both of these families have the tie to the Davidic line. So it's Does like, every yeah. person, what's that? Does every Jewish person have a tie to David? No. Oh, okay. um, like us, they all have a tie to like Noah. Or actually, no, could be one of Noah's kids, which evidently would be Noah. But uh, no, some of them would have come from uh, Noah's uh, or uh, David's brothers, right? So it could be like a great, 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 great uncle, but not from a direct descendant. Yeah. Yes, it, right. If they didn't know each other, it would have been easy for Joseph to say, I evidently didn't know you, yeah. right? But, and I think this is where Joseph is. I know her. And their betrothed, we don't know how long this betrothal was going on, right? They could have been into this for a while. The betrothals, as they said, were from 9 to uh, 12 months. And, and it was, it's interesting, it's, from what I picked up, from what I, I studied this week, it seems like it's a three-step kind of action. That, that the man and woman actually talk together, even though parents did arrangements. Later in the Talmud, it says it's, it's important that the husband and the wife are, are in approval of this. So it's not, it's not so much like in those medieval times when one king had a son and another king had a daughter and said, hey, you two guys are getting married. Uh, but there's, there was agreement. So there was this, this talking time, this agreeing time. And, you know, we should get married, right? And then came the betrothal. And the betrothal was an actual, I think I, I might have some of my notes here yet about that. Um, yeah. And it talks about uh, the betrothal. And, and it says, uh, to contract an actual, though incomplete, marriage. So in two of the passages uh, in Scripture, it occurs. One is 2 Samuel 3.14, where it says, My wife whom I have betrothed. And then in Deuteronomy 22.24, where the betrothed is designated as the wife of the, a neighbor. So there's this betrothal. In other words, we are, are married, but we're not consummating the marriage until later. And there's a second ceremony, right? And this is where it says, and Joseph took her home to be his wife. The second, the second marriage was, was called the home taking. So you get it, right? So there's the consummation of, of this union. So it's really the, hey, how about getting married? And then it's the betrothal. Hey, we're married. And then it's the home taking, and we've consummated this union. So you know what? The, the wedding at Cana, you know, where it was like a big three-day celebration. Yeah, right. How come, I mean, wouldn't you think if it's such a big deal that they're married, 
married that there would be, well, this is Joseph and Mary's big wedding, and we had all this wine, and we had, I mean, it probably wasn't. I, you know, that's a good question. Did they have a big seven-day thing like they would have in a most? A lot of wine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I think some of the challenge would have been uh, she's pregnant. And, you know, I know Dr. Meyer. I love Dr. Meyer. He's a great guy. He's an ordained Missouri Synod pastor. He was for years a professor at Western Michigan University in Near Eastern ancient uh, history. Uh, but I'm wondering, and he didn't mention it, Mary went off to help her relative Elizabeth after a few months. What happens a few months after you're pregnant? You start showing, right? I'm wondering if she went to the hill country, as it says, and helped take care of her relative until John is born, that it was kind of a, I'm going to get out of here for a little bit, right? What's the, what's the name of the movie that recently came out um, where they, they kind of have the Mary Joseph? What's the name of it? Is it the cartoon? No, it's, it's, it's not the cartoon one. It's the, the people one. That's it. Nativity. Came out a couple years back. Um, but they, they kind of show that angst, right, of people walking by Mary, kind of rolling their eyes and doing the whisper. I wonder if that happened. Could have. And when I was, um, well, we don't know positively because we weren't there and it's not in Scripture. So we got a lot of times what we have to do is talk about what's conjecture, right? Uh, and most of our conjecture is, is interesting but meaningless, Right? So was Mary, did, Mary, you know, did Mary always wear blue like we have in the pictures? I don't know. <laughs> my, my granddaughter and I were coloring, and she drew a picture of the manger scene. This is Mary. And I said, we have to color her blue. And she said, how come? I, said, I don't know, but we're going to color her blue because she's always blue. So go ahead. I heard that the reason she's blue is because that was the most expensive paint and because she was so holy. Oh. They wanted to set her apart, so everybody put blue on her because... In the, the paintings. Yeah, because it was expensive paint, not because that's what she wore. And that was respectful for her. Correct. Wow. Mm. I wore a blue shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> and it ain't because I'm so holy. Do we have to respect you? No, you don't have to respect me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jean. Okay, so you know, and <clears throat> I, I read Catholic stuff, and you know, she's always got that halo thing yeah. around, and they said that she was always... So good. Do you think people knew that? Well, she's kind of, sort of good beyond good, or was she just like a normal? You know, how some people you know, and they're like, yeah. "Wow, that person is like super, like wow." That person yeah. Is yeah. And then you talk to that person, and they say, oh, "If only you knew," yeah. or you talk to that person's spouse, but, and they say, "You know, you can have them for a little while." But if if, if she had that reputation. That she was holier than that, all of a sudden she's pregnant. I mean, that would sort of be a little bit of shock, but yeah. I mean, like the. That really puts a damper on your reputation. But maybe people thought, wow, and did she say, well, yeah, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, or did she keep it really close? Yeah. I mean, would I walk, yeah, no, this is the Holy Spirit's baby. Sure, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting because later on, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, which, by the way, if you've been to Nazareth lately, it's a hustle and bustling place. If you go to Nazareth and you go to the ancient city's uh, archaeological dig, were you guys in that? Did you go to Nazareth and see that? 
there was maybe 20, 24 homes. It was a very small, very orthodox community. Anybody here come from a small town? Did you have a party line? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Graham and Grandpa had a party line, and every once in a while we'd talk, and I'd hear Grandma say, Kate, put the phone down, I'll let you know what's going on in Milwaukee when I'm done. <laughs> Click. It, it, was a, it was a hustle. It wasn't a hustle-bustle town. It was, a, it was a quiet town. So, you know, maybe she ran off to the hill country. She wants to get away from this. Um, you know, you, you talked about, uh, did everybody see how good she was? Perhaps. Um, Roman Catholic theology, when they talk about the Immaculate Conception, they're not necessarily talking about Jesus being immaculately conceived. The, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church since I think about 1870 is that Mary was immaculately conceived. Her mother, they give her the name Anna. And the reasoning is this, how could a sinner give birth to a sinless? Which is a great question. But then what do you have to do with Anna? Her mom needs to be sinless. What do you do with her mom? We got we to go all the way back. I think it just shows the power of God that the one who created humans is the one who can recreate us through his son using all kinds of sinful people, right? Whether it's Mary, who's a good person but sinner, or Joseph, who's a righteous person but a sinner, or Pontius Pilate, who's not a righteous person and is a sinner, they're all used. And you and I are used as parents and grandparents and friends and uh, whatever. Go ahead, Clay. Well, I, I'm thinking the logistics of uh, God, God had to get Caesar to uh, say that we're going to register all our people and we got to all, all go back to our homes. Yeah. And Bethlehem is where all the sacrificial sheep were bred and kept. Yeah. For the. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a. There's a lot of people who believe that the temple sacrifices came from sheep outside of Bethlehem. Could be. Uh, the thing that we do know is Bethlehem is uh, two Hebrew words, uh, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Jesus becomes the bread of life. Bread of life, right? The bread come down from heaven. So there's some interesting things that play out in there as well. Any other questions or thoughts? Go ahead, Mary. Um, how far away was Elizabeth? Because Mary couldn't have traveled it alone, so Joseph had to accompany Yeah, either Joseph or somebody, even if she wasn't pregnant, you're probably not going to send that girl on a bus, <laughs> right, to go to Philadelphia. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't as far away as um, Bethlehem. However, it would, have been a, it would have been a pretty good jaunt because her husband was working at the temple, which is in Jerusalem, which is 70 miles away. So, yeah, she, um, someone, someone most likely took her there. Or it could be that she took the greyhound of the day. That It could be there were some people saying, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. And people most generally traveled in groups. It was very dangerous not to. There were a lot of uh, predators, both animal and human. So, yeah, but she wouldn't, have, she wouldn't have gotten on her bike and gone down by herself, that's, that's for sure. There was another hand. Barb. Um, do they know, or is it stated anywhere, how far they traveled, uh, Joseph and Mary, it's about, from one place to the other, how long it took them? We don't know how long. It's about 70 to 80 miles. Um, I don't know how fast you can, again, you travel in groups, 
right? So kind of like when they were on their way home from uh, Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. You know, they went a day's journey, and then they stopped and said, so where's Jesus? I don't know. Um, so we don't, we're not sure. Tradition says she rode on a donkey, which to me would sound pretty logical. I don't know if I've got this eight or nine month pregnant woman, you know, strapping up her Nikes and heading to Jerusalem. Um, so yeah, it would have taken it would have taken some days. Yeah, and you know, you, you're not pulling over at a, a Holiday Inn. Um, you're you're you got some pretty nasty. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and then some of the men would have kept watch, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just, it looks so nice on the Christmas cards, though. She, her, her garments are flowing, and, they're very, and her hair is really nice. And did you notice that picture? Joseph didn't look happy. <laughs> I watched that like three times now. It's like, oh, Joe, you got you to gotta smile every once in a while, buddy. All right. What else we got? Anything? It's a good discussion. All right, here's what I would like us to do. If you would turn to page five. Um, we talked about tough decisions. And a tough decision, uh, for, I, I suppose Mary could have said, nope, don't want to do it. But instead she said, may it be to me as you have said. Joseph could have said, nope, going to divorce her. But instead he, you know, took the shame that comes with it, both of them, and on their way they went. If we move ahead 33 years, we find that Jesus had some tough decisions. It said, 30-some years later, Mary's son Jesus would have a tough decision of his own to make. It was the night before he was to be arrested, tried, condemned to die on the cross. After supper, he went with his disciples to a garden where he wrestled with this issue. Should he go through with God's plan for his suffering and death, or was there another way? Luke 22. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the other disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So if we read some of the other Gospels, how many times was Jesus praying? Three. Yep. And how many times were the disciples sleeping? Three. Yeah. So Jesus goes through this. Time and time and time again. Next paragraph here says, Clearly Jesus wasn't looking forward to his crucifixion, but it was more than just the physical suffering of his body or the emotional pain of seeing his friends abandon him and the enemies he loved putting him to death. 
He was not eager to face the weight of all our sins, which he had to carry, as well as the fiery wrath of his father over those sins. However, in the end, he knew it was his heavenly father's will for him to suffer and die, for through his death and resurrection, he would win forgiveness and eternal life for each of us. So, I think for us to be able to understand the enormity of what goes on in the crucifixion, um, you know, we think of the, the whip and the crown of thorns, right, and the nails, and rightly so. The physical agony. Romans were really good at torture. I mean, if you really wanted someone tortured, find a Roman soldier. He could get the job done and wouldn't lose any sleep at night. The bigger challenge was what Jesus experienced spiritually on the cross, right? So the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins isn't just his physical death. It's the agony he suffers on the cross. And the agony isn't just physical or emotional or mental. It's spiritual because what happens on the cross in those words that Jesus says right before darkness comes over the face of the earth, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means to be forsaken means to be abandoned. Why did you abandon me? Some people say Jesus at this point ceased to be God. Not true. He was still God. Some people say it's because he didn't really understand what was going on. Not true. He knew the plan. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had the prayer in the garden. He knew exactly what was coming. The reason Jesus asked the question is he's a good rabbi. Rabbis always teach by asking questions. The question wasn't there for the Father to answer. The question was there for us to answer. So what happens on the cross is the Heavenly Father separates himself from Jesus. That's the definition of hell. Hell is a total separation of man from God. That's what I deserve because of my sin. That's what Jesus decided to take because he loves me and you. So what happens on the cross is that Jesus suffers our punishment so we don't have to. Oh yeah, we still go through physical agony. We still have to physically die, but we don't have to experience eternal death. We don't experience the pains of hell because Jesus did that for us and because we trust that he did it. This is what Jesus means when he says, um, whoever believes in me will not perish. He doesn't say whoever believes in me will never physically die. You won't perish. What does it mean to perish? It's an eternal separation from the Father. Everybody lives eternally. The question is where? Is it in God's presence, which is complete joy and peace? Or is it outside of God's presence, which is absolute agony? So when, when someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, what they're really saying is, I can do hell all on my own, thank you anyway. And as I say, you can do hell on your own. It's just miserable and it lasts a long time. So the, this whole thing about Jesus in the garden, it's, it's, the thought of, it's the thought of 
the separation from the Father that causes the greatest angst. Is the physical pain real? You bet. Is the death real? You bet. Is the separation from God a real agony? Exactly. Separation from the Father. Yeah. So this is what Jesus is facing. Now do you know why he sweats drops of blood? Which is a medical condition, by the way. Yep. Yeah, this is why. So, um, here's our question. How do you know Jesus understood the full magnitude of what God the Father wanted him to do? What's the evidence that Jesus really fully got it? Blood. Blood's coming out. What else in this prayer tells you he knows what's going on? If there's a plan B, let's talk about it. Angel came and ministered to him because he was going to need that extra strength. Warns the disciples. Temptation's coming. Do you think it was, you know, when we think of the temptation of Jesus, uh, usually we think of him in the, out in the, the wilderness for 40 days and the devil came and tempted him and, ooh, that was the temptation of Jesus. And it was, but that wasn't the end of it. If you read the Gospels and it says, and the devil left him until an appropriate time. He was constantly being tempted. When Peter said, uh, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want you to die. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Satan's using you to tempt me to go away, to go away from it. I think the garden was, was a, a great place of temptation. I really do. Um, if you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I thought he played that out very well. I thought that was really good. Well, what kind of self-control did Jesus have? He could have just said on the cross, hey, because he was still part of God, I don't want to be a part of this. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, what kind of self-control would that take? I mean, he had people oh. yelling at him, too. You know, you're the son of God. If you are the son of God, come down. I would have said, be right there. Yeah. <laughs> but instead... He ignores the crowd and cries to the Father. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Which, self-control, by the way, is one of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Self-control. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit, it's all Jesus. Yeah. Don't you think if he had come down, there would be more believers at that time? If he had come down off the cross? Yeah. Like, okay, I can do that. There might, have, there might have been, yeah. right? But you had all these other miracles and they just poo-pooed them. As a matter of fact, if you go to the, the Talmud from the time of Jesus, written in the Hebrew writings is the wanted poster for Jesus. And he was wanted for two things. Apostasy against Israel, leading people outside of the religion, and sorcery. So they're admitting that he's doing these things, like walking on water and changing water into wine and raising the dead and healing the sick, but it was all black magic. You do these things by Beelzebub. So I'm wondering if they would say, ah, oh, see, this is all a big trick. Now the Muslims believe that Jesus um, said that he was the Messiah and he was beaten and as he carried his cross, uh, do you remember when, when Jesus was so exhausted, right? that they called for Simon of Serene to carry the cross. The Muslims, the Muslims teaching is this, 
that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross and they accidentally crucified Simon of Cyrene and Jesus escaped through the crowd and lived on. That's their doctrine. Yeah, the way Jesus was beaten. As a matter of fact, Jesus only, only lasted six hours on the cross. Some crucifixions lasted for days. But Jesus was so beaten uh, that it was six hours. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Jesus goes into this knowing exactly what's going to happen. Even more so than what Mary and Joseph realized would happen with a baby outside of their marriage. The last uh, bullet point, Jesus submitted his will to the Father's will. What risks do we take when we set aside our will and ask God to lead us into his will? I think that's a good one to ask. What kind of risks do we have? We don't know the future. I don't know the future. I've lost control, right? And I love control. How about you? Don't you like, don't you like to know? Can, how many of you have, have like a little... We do this every morning at, at 8.25 to 8.35. Our, my um, leadership team, we come together in my office and everyone goes through and says, here's what I got going on today. And we go through and it only takes a minute or two for each person. And then we pray about that. And then as we leave, we always say, well, let's see if that really comes true. <laughs> right? Because if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans for the day. We like control. And if you're just saying, it's your will, God, I'm out of control. Right? I've lost control. What's another problem by submitting to God's will rather than your own? People around you don't get it. And they're going to question. They're going to ask if you're nuts. Right? That I'm sure if, if it was public, I'm sure they asked Mary, who's the dad? Holy Spirit. So for us, yeah, why do you do that? Because it's my Christian faith. It's God's will. Seriously? You belong in the Middle Ages. You belong in the Dark Ages. Yeah. Well, again, you know, we're talking about life issues today. Uh, for me, you know, the reason I'm not arguing it before the Supreme Court is I'm not a lawyer. But my comment would be, uh, this is not God's will. And they would say, we're not here for God's will. Yeah. What's another? What's another challenge? <sighs> Teresa. In the video I got yesterday from my mind when you said Joseph was a just man, and as he's being a just man, he was thinking about leaving his wife. But as a just man, he made the hard decision for himself. I mean, he, he stuck it out. He yeah. 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 And you know, the word just, and we get justice from the word just, which means doing the proper thing um, culturally. Divorcing her would have been the cultural and the legal thing to do. He had every single right to do that. He waived the rights. Yeah. Why? Because it was God's will that he waived those rights. Um, you know, when we, when we look for God's will and not our own, we don't always get the outcome we were hoping for. What I want, 
right? And I think Mary and Joseph and Jesus show us that God's will is oftentimes a little bit more painful to carry out. I remember, I remember uh, being in high school and some kids would say, hey, you got a big party, you got some booze going on, going to be there Saturday. And I'd like, oh, crud, you know, all I need to do is get caught and then I can't play baseball anymore. And my father will cut my tongue out and, and I'll, I'll be eating through a straw for the next 10 years. And, so, and I would just say to my mom, can you say no real quick? Mom, Saturday, just hanging out with some friends. Can I go? No, you're going to your grandmother's. Case closed. Ah. Oh. <laughs> oh, see what I have to live with? Sorry, anyway. So, and then, oh, thanks. Uh, but it, it's painful sometimes for us to live out our Christian convictions, isn't it? It's painful sometimes to forgive people who've injured us. It's painful sometimes to swallow our pride and say, I sinned, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? But it's, it's, what we're, it's what we're called to do, right? It's painful sometimes to put my schedule on hold so that I can care for other people, but it's the right thing to do. It's not always easy, but it's the right thing. All right, look at the time already. Why don't you people yell? I got pages to go through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I wanna do this. The next page, page six, in the middle, there's a paragraph that starts out, Joseph thought carefully. He thought carefully and decided he could not continue his betrothal and marriage plans with Mary. He thought carefully. He didn't just write it off. That decision led to a second decision. Since he had to divorce Mary, should he do it publicly or privately? And here his main debate surely centered on what would be best for Mary? What would be best for me? And he ended up with, what would be best for Mary? Second bullet point. Joseph was willing to sacrifice his reputation to protect Mary. What would you be willing to make sacrifices for? I think that's, you don't have to out loud, but I thought that was a wonderful question. Christians are called to be sacrificial. And what would, what would we be willing to make sacrifices for? And what kind, what is this kind of self-sacrifice, you know, why does it look so naive and foolish in, in the world's eyes? Man. Uh, next page. We don't read that Joseph sought or was able to seek anyone else's advice as he debated what to do. We don't know if he did or didn't. I'm thinking he did not. That's my own personal belief. That's speculation, and speculation is not what faith is based on. But I got a feeling, when an angel talks to you, that's probably enough. Now, he might have had someone come to him, like a brother or a parent, and say, what are you doing? What did you do? Nothing. I didn't do anything. Well, what? well then you better get rid of this girl. No, I had a dream. Notice this? He had a what? A dream. The angel came personally to Mary. Joseph gets a dream. How legitimate do you take your dreams? 
My granddaughter woke up the other day and said to me, Grandpa, I had a dream. The toilet was talking. <laughs> it's not legitimate. I, first of all, I said, what did it say? <laughs> and she said, I don't remember. Let's go back to sleep. But it was in a dream. Imagine the people saying, it's a dream. Stop eating tacos. It's a dream. But his faith was such. But dreams in the Old Testament, you know, like they were big. seven cows. Eight yeah. Cows. They were big. So, yeah. I think they probably believed more in dreams. I hope so. Well, they did. Obviously. Joe did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he obviously did. Well, yeah, and it, and, it, and it must have, obviously, it came in the midst of his discernment, right? Yeah. Don't be afraid to take Mary. Um, so I think what's neat here is uh, that next paragraph. When Joseph learned the truth from the angel, he obeyed God and took Mary home as his wife, regardless of the consequences or fallout. How much do you think it helped Joseph to know Mary had not been unfaithful to him? What an obvious answer to that question. He knew that she was a good, just woman. And can you imagine when he woke up? I knew it. I knew it all along. She's not that kind of girl. He must have been excited. He must have been happy. Can you imagine him running to get word to Mary? I had a dream. I had a dream. You had an angel come and talk. I had one come to talk to me in a dream. This is wonderful. Let's do it. It's going to be tough, but we're going to get through this. Why? Because it's God's will, and he's going to be there. This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org.